This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Tonight, tonight is a very big night. There are tens of thousands of women in Eretz Yisrael tonight in Beis Lechem at Keva Rachel. Tonight is the yard site of Rachel Imenu. You should go home and light a candle tonight for Rachel Imenu. Big night tonight. Not only is it tonight, Rachli Menu's yard site, but there's also a very big birthday today. Very big birthday tonight, actually, and tomorrow. And that is the birthday of, who knows? Anyone here know? Think, think. If it's Rachli Menu's yard site, whose birthday is it? Binyamin Ben Yaakov. Binyamin Ben Yaakov was born. Rachli Menu passed away in childbirth. So her yard site is also the birth of Binyamin Ben Yaakov. And it's brought down that Binyamin Ben Yaakov never sinned. And that if it wasn't for eating from the Eitz Hadas, if it wasn't for eating from the Eitz Hadas, then Binyamin would have never died. He was one of the people that never sinned. Okay, last night, I, I think really I should do this. Maybe I'll do it next week. Last night I gave a shift for the boys. That was such a drastic shear that you cannot see it on Torah anytime and you cannot hear it on Kalalasham. And the reason I gave it, I said to the boys, is you slept at night to come listen to my shear every single week. And it's very nice Torah anytime. We love Torah anytime and we love Kalalasham. Those people are all sitting at home at the kitchen table eating whatever chocolate pudding. I don't know what they're eating. And they're watching my shear. They don't get into a bus or a train in the rain. So we sort of have to reward all the people that come to the shear. So Mitzvah Shem, next week, we're going to try to prepare a shear that cannot be on uh, Torah anytime or on Kol Lashon, so that you get a shear that nobody else will get. Mitzvah Shem. We'll try. Okay, a drastic shear, I called it. Anyway, don't try to find out what I spoke about by the boys last night, because I swore them all to secrecy. So you're never going to find out what I spoke about. All right. I beard my soul. I told them what I was like when I was young. Okay, anyway. So that I'm not doing for you, so forget about it. No way. Not happening. Okay, so tonight we're going to talk about Rachli Meinu. I'm going to start off talking about Rachli Meinu. And then we'll go into the shir of this week's parasha, Parashas Lech Lecha. So, I think Rachli Meinu represents very much represents very much what every single Jewish woman, her, what she's looking for, what she's looking to become, Rukhli Menu gave from herself, she sacrificed her whole being for her sister. And there's a very fascinating medrash, which I always say on Tisha B'Av, but Baruch Hashem, we can say this medrash on a happy day, not on Tisha B'Av. And also, I'd like to go into a little bit into Pasha's Vayetzeh, in the story where Rachel Imenu had no children, Leah already had children, and Bilah and Zilpah, the maidservants, had children, and she had no children. And Reuben went out in the time of the harvest of the wheat. We spoke about this a while back. He found this plant called Dudaim. And he brought them back to his mother, Leah. The Duda Im had the power 
that if somebody is having a hard time giving birth or getting pregnant, conceiving a child, this plant called the Dudaim actually grows. It looks a little bit like a human being. And you can't pull it out of the ground. If you pull it out of the ground, you die. So um, the Dudaim is a very special plant. And Ruvain found them. And he was bringing it to his mother. His mother was Leah. That's why after this, right, she had a baby called Yisachar. Yisachar says, Yisachar Chamar, the bracha that was given, Chamar Goyrem. And what it means is the Chamar was Goyrem, that he would be born because what you do with the, the, the Dadoim is you have to tie the tail of an animal to the plant. You make the animal run and it pulls out the plant. And whatever, whoever pulls out the plant dies. So at that time, what they did is they tied, the, Yisachar tied the tail of a Chamar, of a donkey to the plant. And the Hamar pulled out the plant. And that was Goyrem, the birth of the next child, because she made a whole trade. We know Rachel made a whole trade with Leah for the Dudaim. Everything in the Torah, everything in the Torah matches up. So, by the time of Rachel and Leah, and Rachel said to Leah, Please, I have no children, Leah. Give me from these Dudaim so I can become pregnant. By the time of Allah, and Leah said to Rachel, Hamaat, is it not enough? Kachtech as Ishi, you stole my husband? Leah said to Rachel, is it not enough that you took my husband? Now you want to take away from me, said Leah, the, the Dudaim that my son found? No, I'm not giving him to you. Okay, don't think Leah was mean. Leah was Leah Imenu, she was no little plain person. There's a whole medrash on this, what she meant, what she was saying. We're not going into that tonight. Mitzvah Shem Pashvah So Rachel said, you don't want to give me the Dudaim. That night, happened to have been the night that it was Rachel's turn to be with Yaakov. So Rachel said, Alright, if you give me the Dudaim, I'll switch with you. And tonight I won't be with Yaakov. I'll give up my night for you to be with Yaakov. An amazing, amazing Pasuk. Why is this an amazing Pasuk? The reason it's an amazing Pasuk is what was Leah saying to Rachel? Leah answered Rachel and she said, Isn't it bad enough you stole my husband? No, that's not the way we let the story. The story was that Leah stole Yaakov from Rachel. Rachel didn't steal Yaakov from Leah. As everyone here knows that there was a deal made with Lavan. Yaakov worked seven years. And Lavan said, Yaakov said, I'm working. But yeah, Yaakov was Rachel. He met Rachel by the, when they were drawing the water. And he said, I want to marry this girl. And he went to Lavan and he said, Lavan said, okay, you want to marry my daughter Rachel? You got to work seven years. You got to work seven years. So he said, fine, I'll work seven years. And as everyone knows, when he came to the night of the chuppah, he was supposed to marry Rachel. That's who he worked for. But Leah was crying. Leah was crying because Leah knew that if Yaakov marries Rachel, she's going to end up marrying Esau. So whether she went to her father or not, we don't know really, doesn't say. The bottom line is, Lovin was a wise guy. And Lovin said... I'm going to make a switch, right? I'm not going to give Rachel, the younger sister, to Yaakov. I'm going to give the older sister to Yaakov. 
Lovin was a real shrewd businessman. He figured like this. If I make a switch and Yaakov marries Leah, he's still going to be unfulfilled. He wants to marry Rachel. I'll get him to work another seven years. But if he works seven years for Rachel and he marries Rachel, he's not going to work another seven years for Leah because he's not interested in marrying Leah. So he went and he told Leah and Rachel, tonight I'm your father. Tonight you're going to make a switch. Rachel knew that if Yaakov's going to marry under the chuppah, it's going to be Leah, right? And he's going to find out that it's going to be Leah, then it's going to be very embarrassing for Leah that they made the switch. So she went ahead. Yaakov knew that Lovin was a crook. So Yaakov gave her a secret, gave Rachel a secret code to say when they're in the room together and it's dark and he won't be able to see who it is. So he said, just say the following word and I'll know that it's not Leah, that it's you because I know your father and I know he's going to come up with some kind of scheme. So Rachel had a secret code to tell Yaakov in the room so that Yaakov would not be fooled. So what happened? One medrash says that Rachel told Leah what the code was. But the other medrash says something amazing in the medrash of Echa, and it says, which we're going to learn in two minutes, says that Rachel knew that even though Leah knew the code, when Yaakov's going to ask for the code, Leah's going to talk. When Yaakov's going to hear Leah's voice, he's going to know it's not Rachel's voice. So what good is the code? So she went underneath the bed, says the Medrash. And from underneath the bed, where Yaakov and Leah were, and Yaakov asked Leah for the code word, Rachel Imenu, right, where she was giving up, being married to Yaakov, and I'll tell you how much she was giving up, much more than just being married to Yaakov. She was underneath the bed, and when he asked for the code word, Rachel Imenu, Leah was quiet, Rachel Imenu said the word with her, with her voice, and Yaakov didn't realize that it was coming from underneath the bed. He heard Rachel's voice and the code. He said, okay, it's Rachel. This is what Rachel did for a sister. We, we can't, nobody in this room can even imagine. We can't even imagine all the Midrashim that say the connection between Rachel and Yaakov, the soul connection, the emotional connection, the connection between the two of them and Olam Haba, the connection in the way they thought, says that, that Leah... The desire says, it says that Leah had a Nayim Rakai. She had very soft, swollen eyes from crying all the time that she was going to marry Esav. And it doesn't say anything about Rachel's eyes. So the reason the desire asks, why doesn't it say that Leah had, if you're talking about eyes already, so Leah had a Nayim Rakais, and Rachel had a Nayim Yafais. Why doesn't it say that Rachel had beautiful eyes? Doesn't say anything about her eyes. So the desire says, Rachel did not have eyes. That's what Desire says. Ain anayim l'rachel. She had no eyes. What does that mean, she had no eyes? So he goes in, Desire speaks, and that's not my shit tonight, and says that there was, a, there was an argument between Leah and Rachel about creating Klai Yisrael. Leah felt that there has to be different people in Klai Yisrael. There has to be Ruvain, who was the Bechar. Shimon, who was supposed to teach, was supposed to be the teachers. Levi, the priest. Yehuda, the kingdom. Yisachar, learning Torah. Zavulon, the guys who go to work. She categorized where everybody should be in Klai Yisrael. Yaakov said everyone should be equal. Rachel, Elam, Enayim, right? Enayim, eyes are used to discern one thing from another. Brown from red, red from blue, 
right? A human from a cow. If you close your eyes, you live in darkness. If it's dark in this room, then I don't know who's sitting in the first row. And I don't know who's sitting in the last row. Because it's dark in the room. So when it's dark, when you don't have no eyes, the expression in the Zohar of no eyes means no differential. Nothing different between one and another. So she had eyes. And they were Rachel's Leia. Rachel had no eyes. Rachel wanted to have Klai Yisrael, no Kohanim, no Yehuda, no Yusacha, no Zavulan, just everybody's equal. That's what she wanted. And Yaakov also came from the same place. And Leah, who we see in the end was, I don't know if you can say right or wrong, but whatever, it came out that from Leah came all these different statuses. So, Rachel Imenu, whose yard site it is tonight, imagine, try to imagine, I don't think you can imagine, because I can't imagine. You're a 19-year-old girl, and you're going out with this guy, and he's the most amazing guy in the whole world. Mom, you never met such a person as your dream husband. The, 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 the connection is amazing, He's, he's, he's doing, he's a bentoira, he's holy, but he's caring. I don't want to go into the whole thing, right? He's the man. He's like the man, right? And everything's set up for the wedding, and the, the food is bought, and the music, and the flowers, and everything is all set up for the wedding. And you have a friend who's much older than you, and she's struggling with shiduchim. And it comes to the wedding, and you switch places. There's nobody in this room, I don't believe, including myself, that would be able to do such a thing. But, let's say, let's say that there is. Let's say that there is. Would that girl come to the wedding to watch her chasan marry somebody else? I don't think so. I think you could do a chesed and say, okay, I did it, goodbye. I don't, I don't want to see this. Not in my face. Let's say she comes to the wedding. And the only way for her to fool the chesed into marrying this other one is she has to come up with a gansa maisa that she, the maisa, standing under the chuppah, behind, Right? She's standing behind this the other girl, the 40-year-old girl who's dating. He's standing behind the 19-year-old girl. The 19-year-old girl puts out her finger to get the to get. I'm just giving you a. It, it can't happen because if it's a mekachtos. But I'm just giving, trying to give you a, a story that you can at least think about what it is, right? And therefore, she's the finger that he thinks he's putting it on. And at the last second, when the ring is about to be on her finger and she's going to be married to her dream boy. She pulled back and puts the other girl's finger out. And that's it. Once they're married, they're married. It's finished. It's over. She's, she's out of the picture. She's out of the picture. We can't, I'm, I'm just giving you a story. It can't happen because if you put the other finger out and it's a different girl, it's, the, the condition is not a condition. Just trying to give you an example. You would say, listen, I did the biggest thing in my life that I gave up this boy for her, but I don't need to sit there and be part of it. In my face. Uh, yeah, in my face. So, so, Rachel Emanuel, the Medrash says, forget about under the chuppah. She was under the bed for her sister. So that her sister should not be embarrassed. Amazing. Crazy. 
And then she's childless. She has no children. She's broken. And she asked the sister that she gave up everything in the world for. She asked her, could you give me some daduim? Because I have no children. You already have four children. And her sister says to her, she could have said no. No. No, she didn't say no. She said, you, I should give you after you stole my husband? Are you out of your, what are you, how can you say that to me? I was under the bed, I gave you my husband. How could you say to me, I stole your husband? What is Rachel Imenu tonight's yard site? This is how high a person can, can reach. What does Rachel Imenu answer her sister? She should have answered her sister, I stole him from you? You stole him from me? Not a word. Not a word. She makes a deal. She doesn't get angry. She doesn't answer her sister back. She doesn't say, okay, we'll make a switch. You can have Yaakov tonight instead of me. And you know what you did? You stole him a second time from me. The night you got married to him, you stole him from me. And tonight I'm supposed to be with him and you're not going to let me be with him? You're going to steal him again? Not a word. She said, I understand. I understand how you feel. No problem. No problem. I'll make the switch with you. So she actually... Switched twice. She switched the night she got married, and she, she switched this night. And you'll see in the Torah that she never mentioned a word to Leah. Why didn't Rachel tell Leah when Leah said to her, you stole my husband, she should have answered, excuse me, lady, did I not, did I not give you the code? Did I not set the whole thing up? What are you talking about? So Chazal say that we learn from here. Girls, you have to learn from this. I learn from this. You have to learn from this. This is the most crazy lesson in the Torah that a person can reach. It, it, it's a level that's mind-boggling. So why didn't she answer? And Leah Imenu. Why did Leah make up a story here? Leah said that Rachel stole Yaakov. He didn't, so she's lying. Why would Leah say that? So Chazal say that we learn from here that Leah never knew that Rachel gave her the code. That and, and, and I forgot the Chazal what the code was. The code was something in learning. Maybe maybe Shabbos Neiros, maybe Erev Tavshilim. I forgot what the word was. Whatever his it brings down what the code was. Amazing, whatever it was. What did Rachel? What was it? Which mitzvah? What? Okay. So that was the three mitzvahs that we mentioned on Shabbos, Friday night. So that was the code. So what did Rachel do? Rachel didn't want to tell Leah, listen, we have a code, me and Yaakov. You're going to get caught. So I'm going to tell you the code so you don't get caught. So that way Leah feels like she did her a big favor. She said, Leah, I want to learn with you before, before the chuppah. Let's go learn something. And she opened up a sefer. Let's learn about challah. Let's learn about nido. Let's learn about neiros. Okay? So they learned it. So when Yaakov asked the question, 
right? Whatever it was. What are the three things? Leah just learned it with Rachel. Rachel never told her she's teaching her a code. So Leah never knew that there was any code. She never knew that Rachel did her a favor. She never knew that Rachel did a switch. She married Yaakov. Yaakov asked her, what are the three things? Stop talking and learning. She answered the answer. So, and then, after she got married, listen carefully. So if Leah did not know that there was a secret code, so then when Rachel, after, after Leah, got married to Yaakov, she felt, Leah felt, what did you do? I married Yaakov. Why did you have to marry him also? It would have been good enough just with me. He never knew that there was a whole, she never knew there was a whole trick. She never knew that there was a switch. Rachel protected her. She never let her know about it. So when Rachel came now and said, I want a child, she said, again? You stole my husband? You ended up marrying him after I married him? Why did you marry him? Why did you marry somebody else? Leah never knew the favor that Rachel did. The greatest favor when you do a person is not to say, I'm doing you a favor, but that the person doesn't even know that you did them a favor. This was Rachel Imenu. And now was her chance. When this sister is telling her, you stole my husband, she should have said, you think I stole your husband? All of us would have busted at that part. I stole your husband? You remember the three things I learned with you? I only did that so that he wouldn't throw you out of the house when he finds out about the switch. You would have thrown it all at her. I would have. Chutzpah, after all, I did this, and, I'm, and I never told you the secret. Now you're calling me a husband stealer? Not only she didn't tell her and criticize her, she said, okay, do me a favor. Do me a favor. I know you don't owe me any favors. Do me a favor and, and give me the dad to win. We'll do a switch. That's why Rachel Imenu is buried in Beis Lechem. That's why Hashem said that all the tefillahs of Moshe Rabbeinu, Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, all the Imois and all the Ovois that are in the Maros Machpel and Chevron, I'm not listening to them. Only to one. And that's to Rachel Imenu. Amazing. Amazing person. Tonight's yard site. Amazing person for every woman and every man to strive for. Imagine giving up the most important thing in your life and not even letting the other person know that you did it for them. That's crazy. That's amazing. But it's even more amazing. Much more amazing. Because there was a halacha, there's a halacha in the Torah that a man cannot marry two sisters. How did Yaakov marry two sisters? So it's brought down that the Avos Avoseinu, Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, kept the Torah, the whole Torah, only in Eretz Yisrael. In Eretz Yisrael, they kept the whole Torah. They didn't get the Torah yet. We got the Torah. But in Eretz Yisrael, they kept the whole Torah. Outside of Eretz Yisrael, they didn't keep the whole Torah. So outside of Eretz Yisrael, where Yaakov was right now, by Lavan, he was able to marry the two sisters. But Rachel Yimenu knew that the minute they go back into Eretz Yisrael, Yaakov is not allowed to be married to two sisters. Which means that when they cross into Eretz Yisrael, Hashem is not going to allow Yaakov Avinu to be a sinner. So when they cross into Eretz Yisrael, one of them is going to die. He cannot be in Eretz Yisrael with two sisters as wives. Which one is going to die? The first one he married, he didn't do anything wrong. The one that's wrong is the second sister. 
when you marry the first one, you're just married to a woman. Now her sister, you're not allowed to marry. Which means that Rachel Yimenu knew that the minute Yaakov Avinu goes back into Eretz Yisrael and crosses the border, she is going to die. For she cannot be alive with her sister married to Yaakov Avinu. And that is why Rachel Yimenu is not buried in the Maharaj HaMachpelah. That is why Rachel Yimenu died by Derech. Because she wasn't able to go into Eretz Yisrael with Yaakov Avinu because she knew that two sisters could not be married to him. Which means that not only did she give up being married that night to Yaakov Avinu, not only did she give up that night in Pashas Vayetze, but she gave up a big chunk of her life. She never saw Binyamin born. Actually, she saw it for one second. She knew it was a boy, and then she died. She wasn't at his bar mitzvah. She wasn't at his haircut. She wasn't at his wedding. She knew all of this. She knew that she could not come into Eretz Yisrael and live. And she gave that all up for her older sister. That is why she has the koyach, the power to daven for Klai Yisrael, and that she's buried outside the Ma'ar Samach that she's buried by Derech. She was buried on the way. A lone building, standing out in Beis Lechem, with Rachel Yimenu buried there by Derech. That's where she was buried. That is the greatest compliment to her. Because the reason that she's buried by herself in Beis Lechem is because she gave everything up to her, for her sister. That's tonight's yard site. That's what every Jew needs to strive for. I want to read you from inside this Medrash Rabbah on Eicha from, from actually from Tishavav. And we learn a very important lesson here. And that is that what a person does in life, good, they have a right to ask Hashem that if I can do it, Hashem, then you have to do it. If I help this person and I'm a human being, so when a person gives tzedakah, don't just give the person tzedakah, but daven for the person. And say, Hashem, I just helped this poor person. If I'm a human being and I help this poor person, surely you can help Chanabas Dina, whatever it is. If I helped Chanabas Dina, you could surely help Chanabas Dina. And because you are helping that person, you are, have a right to ask Hashem to do the same. I'm a human being. You're God. You can do a lot more. So listen carefully. At the time the Beit HaMidrash was burning and the Jews were being absolutely massacred, so Avraham Avinu was called in front of Hashem and he tried, and Yitzchak and Yaakov and Moshe, and they all tried, and Hashem didn't listen to any of them. And the Medrash Rabbah says as follows, Bo'isa Shah. And at that moment, Kapsa Rachel Imeinu Lifnei HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rachel Imeinu jumped. She didn't wait till they came and asked her. They didn't come to ask. They didn't ask the women. So she didn't wait till Hashem said, bring her here, let her talk for Klai Yisrael. She's Rachel Imenu, her mother doesn't wait. So she jumped up. For Amra and she said, Rebina Shalaylam, Hashem, Galoi Lefunach, the Medrash Rabbah, plea of this Medrash Rabbah. Galoi Lefunacha, it is revealed before you, She Yaakov Abdacha, that Yaakov, your servant, Ahavani, he loved me, Ahava Yisera, a, lo- a huge amount of love. And he worked for me, for my father, 
Sheva Shanim, seven years. Ukihishlima was in Sheva Shanim. And when those seven years were up, the Higiyaz Magnisue Labali, and it was time for me to marry my husband, Ya'etz Avi, my father advised, Lahachlifeni Labali, to make a switch. So Lovin came and said, I want you to make a switch for your sister. This is a medrash. Listen to what Rachli Yimeinu is saying here. First of all, I think that's one of the problems in, in, in how we teach our children. We make all the people in the Torah martyrs. Like Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, David, all the women in the Torah, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, like they were martyrs, like they were angels, like they were not human. Rachel Imenu, human? Sure she could do this. She's Rachel Imenu. She wasn't human. I can never do such a thing. Well, how could you ask me to do what she did? I'm a human being in the, uh, in the year 2010. Rachel Imenu. I can never be Rachel Imenu. No, says the Medrash. Listen to what Rachel Imenu tells Hashem. <laughs> So he asked me, Mishril Achoisi, to switch for my sister. Vuhuksha Olai Hadavar Ad Mo'oid. And it was very, very hard for me to do this. Not like I just said the story where she said, Oh, switch for my sister? I'm a Tzadikistan. I'll do that. No problem. No, says the Madrish. She said, This is very hard for me to give up. The one I love for my sister, I'm human. Hashem, it was very tough. You know, we don't like to teach in class. So Rachel Menu said, no problem for my sister. I'm a Tadekistan. I'll do anything. No. She was human. She said, no, this is tough. I don't know if I can do this. I love Yaakov. I'm not going to let Leah marry Yaakov. And the Medrash said, it doesn't say, Vuhuksha Alai was tough on me. It says, Vuhuksha Alai Hadavar Ad Ma'od. Ad ma'od means very, very much. I knew, we knew that they were going to try something. So me and my husband had a simon between me, right? So that he wouldn't be able to pull this off. So he would know the difference between me and my sister. So my father wouldn't be able to pull off the switch. This is so beautiful. Because, because it's, it's so much talking like a human being. Listen to this. So she says, she's talking to Hashem. She says, L'chein, Achakein, I thought about it. Nechamti ba'atzmi. I worked on myself, right? Right away she said, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing a switch. I'm marrying him. Then she began to work on herself. Kinechamti ba'atzmi. I worked on myself. She didn't go for any, Advice, she went inside herself. We don't do that enough. She went inside herself and said, I got a sister here. She's gonna, she's supposed to marry Asav. She's crying her whole life that her eyes are swollen. Why am I not saying like, I'll do this for her? So she went inside herself. Visavati estavasi. And I controlled my lust. Virichamti alachaisi. You can't have pity on other people if you don't go inside yourself and control your taiva. The first thing you need to do is go inside yourself, see who you are, and then you got to get rid of 
the taiva that you have, which is jealousy sometimes, whatever it is. So she said, I got rid of my taiva. And what happens when a person goes inside themselves and gets rid of the lust of the thing they want? Right after that, she says, After you get rid of what I want, then all of a sudden I had pity. The, rach, the rachamim came in and I had pity on my sister. She shouldn't go out embarrassed. I gave my sister all the secrets that were given to my husband. In order that he would think it's Rachel, she's standing in front of Hashem now. The low ode, not only that, she tells Hashem, I went underneath the bed. Where Yaakov was with my sister. And Yaakov spoke to my sister. And she was quiet. I answered all his questions so he wouldn't know the voice of my sister. I wasn't jealous. I wasn't jealous in her. I already got that out of my system. And she wasn't embarrassed. Now she turns to Hashem, amazing the chutzpah that Rachel Imenu had. But when a mother wants to save their children, they say whatever they have to. When a mother wants to protect her children, she will do whatever she has to. I have met such mothers in school. And let me tell you, they, you know, all of a sudden you're not a rabbi anymore. When it comes to their kid, protecting their kid, it's Wildstein, I don't care who you are, right? You're going to listen to what I have to say. So she turns to Hashem and she says, listen to this. She says, I need more, I need, what am I? Bust of a dumb. I'm meat and blood, off of the afer, ashes and dust. Like I didn't, I wasn't jealous. The, the other wife is called a tsara, right? We call in Gemara, we call that a tsara. Because Taki, you have tsaras, two wives, right? That's why it's called a tsara. Like But why hates to seal the I didn't take her out and let her get embarrassed. But you, you're Hashem. You're the king that's going to live forever. Rachamim. And you have pity. Why are you destroying Klai Yisrael? Because they're serving Avaydi Zara? You're jealous of uh, Avaydi Zara? I wasn't jealous of my sister? And you're jealous of Avaydi Zara? Hashem, what's going on with you? You're God. And you're jealous? I wasn't jealous. How could you be jealous? A little chutzpah to talk to Hashem that way, right? <laughs> yes. Right. So that's a different medrash. Oh, okay. Right. Medrash. Yes, it's a different medrash. You could you could learn it that what, what that, that she. I mean, we don't know exactly how this went down. So it could be that Leah didn't even realize that Rachel was whispering. Whatever she wasn't talking loud. She was whispering from under the bed. She may not have even realized that Rachel was doing that. Because it's mashma that there's no way that she knew. She wouldn't have taught, she wouldn't have said, you stole my husband. So, but this is a medrash. This is what the medrash says. So here, Rachel turns to Hashem and says, hold on. I wasn't jealous of my, my, my sister. How could you be jealous of, of an idol? And Hashem listened to that. Miyad, if you, if, if, if you're able to forgive, 
then you have a right to ask Hashem to forgive. But if you're a person who holds a grudge, you can't come to Hashem and say, do me a favor, can you please forgive the, the Jews and bring Mashiach? Hashem is going to say, but you didn't forgive Chani, and you didn't, and you didn't forgive Miriam, and you didn't forgive your teacher in sixth grade, and you didn't forgive your mother, and you didn't forgive your aunt. So how could you ask me to forgive if you don't forgive? But if you forgive, someone smacks you in the face and hurts you deep, and you like totally forgive that person, you are, you have such a strength. You're bigger than any rabbi, any makubah with a school or with a bracha. You have the right to say to Hashem, this person hurt me, and I let it go. So Hashem, if I hurt you, you got to let it go. You have that koyach. It's a sword. It's called a cherev. You create your own cherev. By how you treat other people, you have a right to demand Hashem treats you the same way. Rachel did it. And Hashem, finally, by Rachel, it says, this gaugul rachem of shalakarish baruch and Hashem became, had pity. But Oma b'shvilech, Rachel, because of you, Rachel, tonight's yard Rachel imenu, because of you, ani machsias Yisrael im koimam, I will return the Jewish nation to their place. As it says in Yirmiyah, Koyamar Hashem, Kobarama Nishma, Nihi Bichi Tamurim, Rachel Mavaka Abanera, Rachel cries for her children, Meyana Li Nochem Abanera Kienenu. It also says, Kiyomar Hashem, Minoik, Mini, Koylech, Mibechi, Venayach, Midima, stop crying. Stop crying, Rachel, for your children, Kiyesh, Sachel, Pulosech. Your work and your crying and what you said to me today, it's gonna, it's gonna bear fruit. Uksiv, v'yesh tikfal achvisek no mashem. There will be a, there will be a tikfal to this. V'shavu banim likbulam. Your children will come home to Eretz Yisrael in the coming of Mashiach. This is tonight's yard site. This is Rachel Imenu's yard site. There are many beautiful songs that were written, but what we need to learn from Rachel Imenu is the kayach, is the strength that a person has in this world. That you, the way you treat other people, you have a right to go to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and ask Him to do the same thing. If you help a poor person, you have a right to say, Hashem, I helped a poor person. You're God. You surely can help him even more than me. And 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 and, and the other way, if you treat people bad, you have no strength. You have no strength. If you don't forgive people, you cannot ask Hashem to forgive anybody. Because Hashem can say, you don't forgive, why should I forgive? But on the other hand, if you do forgive people, then you have a right to say, Hashem, I'm a boss of a dog, I'm nothing, and I forget what you did, so don't get so angry at what I did. You're Hashem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the kayak. But the first thing you need to do is to get out of your system, is to go inside. As Rachel Imeno, her first reaction was, no way! Her father came, she was normal. Her father came and said, we're doing a switch. No way! I'm not doing this. No way. And then, she went inside herself and said, how could I not do this? It's my sister. She's going to get embarrassed. How can I not do this? But the Taiva, the Yitzhahara, the Taiva, what do you mean? He's my husband. He works for me. <laughs> so she had to get rid of that too. And once she got rid of the Taiva, then it's easy to do chesed. My Rebbe used to say, if you want to do chesed for someone else, you first have to get yourself out of the way. It's a very deep word. If you want to help someone else, you got to get yourself out of the way of helping the other person. Because you're always in between yourself and that other person. There's always, well, why do I have to help them? They didn't help me. And why do they need so much help? Let somebody else help them. So you got to first get your, you, you, right, out of the way. If you get you out of the way, you become the most biggest chesed doer in the whole world. But you're always in the way. You're always in the way of that chesed. So my Rebbe used to say, get yourself out of the way. You can help anybody in the world.
Okay. So, whoa, all right. So that was roughly made, and we're not going to have that much time to talk about the parasha. But there's something very fascinating that I do want to talk about. Just a little bit about Lech Lecha, this week's parasha, a word that I think I say every single year, but it really, it meant so much to me. At the end of last week's parasha, parasha's Noach, so it says that uh, they left, Avram Avinu and Terach, left Ur Kazdim. That's what it says, Ur Kazdim. The Medrash says, what was Ur Kazdim? Ur Kazdim was the place where they tried to burn Avram, throw him into a big furnace, Ur Kazdim, a furnace of fire. And then the Medrash tells the whole story. It was so hot, they had to shoot him in a catapult. And he ended up in the Kipshana Eish. And he sat in there, and there were Malachim there, and he didn't get burnt. And he was okay. And the whole Medrash, how he gave up his life, he was willing to give his life for Hashem. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Person like Abraham Avino. The Torah doesn't say one word about that story. Okay, that's Yitzchak. Yeah. Lech Lecha, Rashi says, was a very big Nisayan, very big test to leave your house, and your parents, and your birthplace, and your country. It's very hard. You don't talk the language. It's very hard. That the Torah spends five sukkim on. But that he, that he went into a fire for Hashem? Not a word. If I didn't learn the Medrash, if you learn Chumash, they left or Kazdim. There's no story about Nimrod, fire, breaking the idols, we all know the story, all that stuff doesn't say one word in the Chumash. So the question is, what's a bigger Nisayan? Jumping into a fire and giving up your life for Hashem? Or if Hashem says, okay, listen, girls, Bosco comes out tonight, everybody in Ornava, pick yourselves up, leave your birthplace, Brooklyn, leave the land of America, and you got to move away from your parents, you're all going to Israel. Right? It's a test. It's not so fast. Some of you will be very happy to leave Brooklyn. Some of you will be very happy to leave your families, right? Everybody will have different reasons, but not such a big test. If you go to Sheraton, right? And Hashem didn't say, it's all Asher Echo. But what did Hashem say after that? He says, and if you do this, I'm going to bench you, you're going to become a nation, and you're going to have children, and you're going to be rich. So now, we're all sitting here, and Hashem says, listen girls, you leave your birthplace, your family, and your country, I guarantee you, it's God talking, right? I guarantee you, I'm going to take you to a place, you're going to have a shidduch, to the best guy in the world, you're going to have beautiful children, you're never going to have to work a day in your life, and from you are going to come a whole nation. We're all out of here. Hashem says that to us, we're all out of here. What's the big Nisoyen that Abraham Avinu had? You're gonna, that you talk about? And getting thrown into a furnace? You don't talk about? So there's two answers. One answer is that the Torah doesn't want you to think that committing suicide is a way of serving Hashem. You can ask me, I, okay, this Yitzchak, because Yitzchak wasn't suicide. It was a sacrifice. It was karbonos. It was something else. Here, Abraham Avinu jumping into a fire, people are going to start jumping into fires. That's a different religion where they blow themselves up. So we didn't want in the Torah the whole thing about Abraham Avinu jumping into a fire. Okay. There are questions on that. Daniel and the, and the, and the, three, the three that were thrown into the fire. But they, were, they weren't really committing suicide because they were really thrown into the fire. Abraham Avinu, he had a choice. Nimrod said, you don't have to be if you, if you say that I'm the king. Whatever. But the beautiful answer that I heard, which is so true. Now Rebbe said, the Torah comes to teach us. That to die for God takes a moment. But to live for God takes a lifetime. To live for God 
is a much greater test. To make a decision and jump into a fire, it's a second, it's over. Okay, you suffered for a second, you made your decision, it's over. But to live your whole life, 80, 90, 100 years, that's an Isaiah. So, the story of the Kishon Aish, it's not a big deal, the Torah doesn't need to talk about it. But to leave your homeland, and to go to a whole other land, and live your life in that whole other land, that's living your life for Hashem. That's a very big Nisayan. Being a Jew for a flash moment, it's very good, it's very great. But being a Jew for your whole life, that's the true Nisayan. That's the true Nisayan that a person goes through. So I wanted to talk tonight, maybe we'll, we'll leave it for next week, that this whole Lech Lecha is not talking about what you think it's talking about. It's about when a person leaves this world, it's about when a person comes into this world, that you have to leave your family, and you have to leave your birthplace, and you have to leave your land, and you're going to the land of Shara Eka, which I'm going to show you, which is the next world, and that when the Neshama comes down to this world, it also leaves the other world, and Beis Adicha is, is the Kisar Kavoid, and the land is Eilam Haba, and there's a whole Avas Chaim on it, but tonight we're not going to talk about that. There's a subject that's very important that I need to talk about, and I can't let you go until I talk about it. So I'm going to leave the, the Sefer Gulgulim with Chase and Moshe Rabbeinu and all that, we're going to leave aside, because I need to finish with this. This is very, very, very important. So there's a situation going on right now in New York City. Let me just get to the place. Uh, I don't know if anybody read about it, but Lemaisa, we always talk about Mashiach, we talk about when Mashiach is going to come, and we're very, very close to when Mashiach is going to come. I like to learn about Mashiach, I spend a lot of time at night learning about Mashiach, and I knew, even though everybody was, I mean, he should come, he should come fast, but there was one thing missing in the ingredients of Mashiach coming. I'm a Mashiach watcher, and I am, and there was something missing in the, in the ingredients of Mashiach coming. What was missing is like this. It says that in the times of Mashiach, it's going to be like the, the times of the Mabel, of Noach. There were, there were four sins that caused the destruction of the world. One was Shvichas Damen. One was murder, bloodshed, for no reason. We'll see if we can get this for you. So bloodshed for no reason, today, every single day, if you look at the news, I tried this last week, it didn't work, it may not work again. If you look at the news, every single day in Afghanistan or in Pakistan, some guy blows up a truck or himself and kills hundreds and hundreds of, not soldiers, women and children. And I think the last one, well, the one that I saw actually today, uh, which is not gonna, I'm not, it's not gonna connect down here, um, was that today in, in Pakistan, I know, you know, people don't take it very seriously because it's not here, but in a food market where they sell food and children's clothing, some guy blew up a car and killed a hundred or more than a hundred women and children and maimed, and if you could understand what maimed means, um, on one of these bombs, there's no arms and no legs, and these are human beings. You know, they may be in Afghanistan, they may be in Pakistan, they may not love the Jews, but Lamaisa, they're Hashem's Brias. And this happens every single day. A human life in, in the world today has absolutely no meaning. Value. 
No value, no meaning, nothing at all. So Shvichas Damim, the world has. Gili Arayas, oh my goodness. Gili Arayas, look at the Medrash in Noah. That, that there should be a country that's voting that men can marry men and women can marry women. Is Mamish the Medrash in Pashas Noah, where it says that Hashem decided to destroy the world when men were given permission to write a shtak suva, a, a marriage license, to another man. We have marriage license, men and men. So that, even though it's very bad, was a good sign to me. It was like, we're Mamish, we're Mamish there. Here, I have to read you something for a second. I'm sorry that, yeah, I know it's very late. Car bomb kills a hundred. Okay, that sounds pretty bad. But I have to read you who they killed. Anyway, who cares? Nobody in America, what do you care? You read it every day, 100, 150, 200. Who cares? They're on the other side of the world. But you know what? They're women and children. They're women and children. They're not soldiers. They're not fighting. They were going to the market to buy food and clothing. And somebody blew them up. And nobody cares. Not the people of Afghanistan. Not the people of Pakistan. Not the people of America. Nobody cares. Right? A Jew has to care about everybody. We have to feel. When people die, we have to feel. It's Hashem's Bria. So that's, that's gone. Bloodshed, no problem. Nobody cares. Gilarayas, nobody cares. So what's the, what's the third thing? The Shvich has done Gilarayas is Avaydazara. Avaydazara, don't see so much Avaydazara serving idols. Muslim religion, all the rabbis paskin is not Avaydazara. They don't have any object in their mosque that they bow down to. So they don't have an Avaydazara. The Christian religion is a machlaikis. It's an argument because they do have something, but that something is not representing God. So some rabbis feel it is a vaydazara, and some rabbis feel it's not a vaydazara. We can't, of course, it's, it's blasphemous that God has a son. That's, 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 that's dumb. Doesn't make any sense at all, right? But, but, we can't say that it's a vaydazara. So I'm like, we might have two out of the three, but we don't have a vaydazara. Suspected militants exploded a calm bomb in a market crowded with women and children Wednesday, killing a hundred people and turning shops selling wedding dresses, toys and jewelry into a mass of burning debris and bodies. Eh, who cares, right? The world doesn't care. So they blew up a bunch of kids and children and they were buying toys and wedding dresses. Shrikas Damim don't mean nothing. Gilead Royas doesn't mean anything. But Avaidizara, which says Mashiach times is gonna be Avaidizara. Eh, I don't see much Avaidazara. Yeah, you got the little fat Buddhas hanging out, but there's, there's, not, there's not like a lot of Avaidazara going on. So Avaidazara I didn't see. And what was, the, what was the last thing? The last thing was Gezel stealing. Ha ha. Ha ha. But not only stealing, stealing white collar crime. Not walking with someone taking money out of their pocket, but sketching. You know, selling the camera and not telling them it doesn't come with the lens. You know, the warranty. All the sketching that people do in their businesses, where the, I'm not lying, I just didn't give you the information. Right? We know that, that whole story. You know, Ma, I didn't lie to you, I just didn't tell you. Right? You know, we don't think that's lying. It's lying, of course, if you don't give me the information, you're lying to me. So we have that also. But the only thing we didn't have was that void desire. There's another thing that's brought down in all the Sifre Kabbalah, that when Mashiach comes, right before Mashiach, Amalek, Amalek is going to come back very, very, very strong. Now, everybody thinks Amalek was the Nazis. No. 
Maybe they're descendants of Amalek. But Amalek is not after killing human bodies. Amalek is after teaching the world that there is no God. Amalek says the B'nai Yisrael were atheists. The biggest atheists in the world. In fact, when Kleisel came out of Mitzrayim, and they came through the Yamsuf, right after they came from, came out, came through the Yamsuf, right? So they, they got attacked by the, they got attacked by Amalek. So everybody asked, what are you nuts? You see that God split the Yam. Why would you attack them? They said, God didn't split the Yam. So how do you answer that? B'nai Yisrael says, how did Amalek answer? Amalek said that there was a tsunami, whatever they call that. And there was a huge, there was a huge earthquake in the water, which caused the water to go up on two sides. The Jews, they believe in luck. That's, that's, you know, coincidence and luck. That's, that's Amalek. And the Jews happened to have been in the right spot at the right time. There's no God. It's atheism. So what, what, what Kabbalah is saying is that right before Mashiach, and the, and the Gemara says this, right before Mashiach, Amalek is going to come back up and try to get this world to become all atheists. So some of the rabbis read that to be Russia. Russia, we know, not now, but way back, they, just, they, they, they ripped out belief in God, that there is no God. But they, but they got torn down. The walls got torn down. Russia has no kayak today. So last week, I saw an article, which is so bad, but maybe a little bit good. Starting November 1st, this Sunday, in New York City, every bus, train, billboard will be plastered and paid for. Don't you touch that billboard because you go to jail. By a group, three groups of atheists. Now, I want to read you from the New York Times an article. On Tuesday, October 20th, a large billboard was unveiled in Chicago's Loop asking, Are you good without God? Millions are. God or no God? The poster that you're going to see is going to be a poster of the blue sky with white clouds. And it's going to read, A million New Yorkers are good without God. Are you? Amalek's not going to put up on a sign, There is no God. Because if you put that up on a sign, all the Catholics and the Jews, everyone's going to jump up and get crazy. Amalek is brilliant. They're saying... Don't argue with us. We're not saying there is no God. We're saying that we know a million people that live with no God, don't believe in God, and they're doing well. Maybe we're right. The way, and I taught you this in many of my shiurim, the way that you get to a Jew is not by a guy walking up to a girl and saying, hey, you're gorgeous, let's do something bad. Because if a guy does that on Avenue J, you're running for your life. You're calling Atzala. You're calling 911. You're screaming all kinds of words. And the, and the Yetzirah knows that. So guess what? I hope on Avenue J, Manhattan probably does that. But I'm hoping on Avenue J, you don't have a bunch of guys running up to you and telling you, let's do something really bad. Because you're going to run away. So what time is it? Where can I get kosher food? Where are you from? How do I know you? That's how they get you. It's how it knows that. So to put up a, a billboard, there is no God, huh, you'll spit on the floor and you'll walk away. But to put up a beautiful billboard, not with, with the Satan, with the Satan, but the sky, Hashem's sky, those animals, 
they're using Hashem's sky to prove their point. And what sky? The blue sky. And what does the Zaya say? Why is our sky blue? Why is the sky blue? Anyone here know why? What? Hashem is blue? No, Hashem is not blue. Because there's a Rashi. There's a Rashi. And it says that Hashem sits on a Kisei HaKavod made out of blue sapphire. And our world is a reflection of his Kisei HaKavod. So they took Amalek. This is Amalek. They are here. They took Hashem's Kisei HaKavod. And you know what it says? Kisei HaKavod. It uses, it uses the, the, the Apostle in, in, in Kisei say It says they're going to take the Yudke out of Hashem's chair, out of his throne. So they use the blue of his throne. And if anyone knows anything about how, how it's brought down in the Chumash, how Hashem travels, how did he come to Harsinai? It says, Ba'ava'anan. He came in the cloud. In the Ava'anan, the white of the cloud. Av is gematria of 72. Chesed is a gematria of 72. So these animals came up. They're not coming at you with Satan, looking at you with red eyes. There is no God. There's only me. No. They put a cloud in a blue sky and you're sitting on the train and you look at this beautiful picture. There's a sublime message behind there. Hey, we're good, man. Everything's good. But guess what? We're good. And there's a million of us, but there's no God. Not done. I'm sorry I'm keeping this small, but this is very important because I'm telling you that we're close to the end. We're mamish close to the end. This is what it's written. This was what's written was going to happen. And this is happening in New York, in the Jewish section, in Brooklyn, on every single train, and they paid for it. You can't go up and rip it down. You touch that MTA bus where it's written or spray paint, you're going to jail. You can't touch it. They paid for it. It's an advertisement. They did it legally. They didn't do anything crazy. They didn't make swastikas on a shul. They, they paid for it. They paid the MTA. They got a lot of money. The other side has a lot of money. So listen to what they read. This is what the New York Times, if you read the New York Times, ah, ah, it's mamish. It's the, it's the Nazi Gazette. Really, that's what it should be called. This is what they write. And how do they sell themselves? Because only intelligent, stupid people read the New York Post. Even dumber people read the Daily News. But intelligent people and cultured people read the New York Times. That's how they sucked and sold it to you. Because their English and their grammar is so perfect. They write beautifully how there is no God. This is what they write. There are good reasons for atheists to be up in arms. There's a reason that the atheists are angry. Given the inexplicable violence that is perpetrated in the name of religion, we're talking about the Muslims blowing everyone up, given the fact that the existence of God cannot be scientifically proven, Meshugam, they're out of their minds. What do you mean it can't be scientifically proven? Their whole evolution is that a bunch of gases and neons and eons and ions bumped into each other by accident, blew up, and now... Out walked all these neons and ions and myons, Zach Wallerstein. That's what I am. I'm a bunch of gases that exploded to each. That's really nice. Thank you very much. Right? A bunch of gases that hit each other, and out came me and you. It's really feel good about it. No, actually, we didn't come out of those gases. Monkeys did. And then we came from the monkeys. Oh, now I really feel good about myself. So when you go to the zoo, you're looking at the monkey. The monkey's looking at you. Like, hey, I was created way before you. You're, you're one of my answers. You should be in the cage. I should be out here. Yeah, okay, I'm making fun of them, but that's the truth. So, one second. What does science teach us in physics? Every girl here who took physics knows that matter cannot be created from nothingness. 
You can't create matter. From matter, you can create and combine and make other matter. So they themselves are saying that matter has to be created. Can't come from non-matter. So what do you mean it's not scientifically proven? What, what is not scientifically proven? Your own science proves that there is a creator of the matter. Okay, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's go on. That joke worked last night, so I tried it again. It's good. All right. Given that when people... Listen to this. I want you to hear what we're up against. Given that when people speak of God, they are typically referring... I'm sorry, I, I, I apologize to HaKosh Baruch Hu. He should forgive me for what I'm about to read. And I, I'm just doing this, Hashem, to teach. I would never say this, but I'm reading you from the New York Times. And this is brought down from the Big Gedalim, a bunch of groups, a group called the Big Apple Coalition of Reason. This is who, who put this brainchild together, okay? Given that when people speak of God, they are typically referring to a supreme being with an extreme ego somewhere up there in the, in the sky. That's how they, that's how they talk about God. It's perfectly understandable that rational and intelligent people come to the conclusion that there is no God. So what they're writing here is that if you're rational and you're intelligent, you don't believe in God. Anyone that walks out of this room that thinks there's a God and knows that they're God, according to them, you are not rational and you are not intelligent. I completely understand why some atheists are sick and tired of the simplistic references to God dripping from the lips of the religiously devout. And that's what he writes, and he talks about actually this whole bus campaign. The current atheist bus, subway, and billboard campaigns are intended as a corrective to religious fervor. I am grateful for these various and voiceless crusades because the world sorely needs a larger and deeper conversation about what we mean when we speak of God. Okay. So this is going to hit New York City on Sunday. This coming Sunday. They did, they're going to be doing this whole advertising campaign for a month. I'm not done. You, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is the times of Noah. Freedom of press. Freedom of speech. So now, now Amalek is using it against us. So I'd like to end with something amazing from Rav Nachman, who wrote this, I think, 250 years ago. And he wrote about this happening in the times of Mashiach. And he wrote the following. And he says a story. I know it's very late, but this is so important. And we have to do something about it. And I got a call. I spoke about the Sunday night in Queens. And I got a call from a man who said that he was sick the whole night after my shear, that how can we allow our Father, our God, to be schlepped through the mud, to be called an egoistic, um, uh, whatever they called him, to, to, how can we not fight back? Let's go and rip them all down. I'm like, you can't rip them all down. Well, we have to do something. Yeah, what we're going to do, Mitzah Hashem, is we're going to come back with some type of, and I'm working on it already, with some type of advertisement, we're going to call the MTA and we're going to take a month, whenever it's available, but we're not going to write because they expect that. They expect it. Uh, Molek knows what they're doing. 
They expect it. And they're just going to use that to say, oh, you see that to come back at us. That means that they're not sure about what they're, you know. So there's a whole thing on how we're going to do this, but we're going to do this. We're not, I'm not going to sit quiet as Hashem's child and watch them say that I have no father. And that I'm a monkey. I'm not a freaking monkey. I'm a, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm the son of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I'm a Ben of Hashem. I'm a child of Hashem. You're not making me into a monkey. So we're going to fight back. We're going to fight back. But it's a very scary time. Because this is I'm like, this is the end. This is what's going to happen at the end. The world, and they're claiming that there are a million, one million New Yorkers. And New York is the most religious city in the whole United States. That's why you're Jews and Muslims and Christians. has the most Muslims, Christians, Jews, Hindu. We, and we, according to them, there are one million people in this city that don't believe that there's a God. That's where we live. Anyway, let me end with Rav Nachman. Let's do what Rav Nachman says. Rav Nachman says very fast. It's very late. Rav Nachman says there's a story about a king and he decided he's going hunting and he changed into regular clothing that nobody would know who he was. And he went out with his officers and they went hunting. All of a sudden they were attacked by these terrible people. And everybody ran. Everybody ran for their lives. And the king ran. But they didn't know it was the king. So they didn't run after the king. They ran after all the officers. And the king ran into the woods. And he went deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And he was traveling for days. And he couldn't find a place to sleep. And he couldn't find food. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the woods, there was an old broken down shack. And there was an old man out there, a very poor man. And he saw this man on a horse, all ripped up and, and tired and hungry, which was the king. He didn't know it was the king. And he brought him inside the house. And he said, I'm really sorry, I don't know who you are, but I don't have really good food, I have grits. Grits is like old dry oatmeal. They eat it in the South. And, and it's, it's, it's not a good food, but that's all he had. He said, I'm really sorry, I don't know who you are, but I'm going to give you my grits. He gave him the grits. Actually, in the South, they eat how many grits? It's one of the questions on the, on the, on the brachas bee. What brachas do you make on how many grits? That's why I remember it when I was in sixth grade. Right? And we all looked at him like, how many grits? What's that? You don't make a brach on that. Okay, but anyway, so... He gave him the he gave him the grits and then he said I don't have a bed in my I don't have a bed in my hut but I have a little hay piled up and the, and the king he didn't tell me he was the king and he went to sleep in there and he slept the whole night of course he was traveling for three days and he was full and, and finally the officers they lost the king so they started to track him and they track him through the woods and they come to this house and they knock on the door and they open the house and there's the king and they're like oh my lord the king my lord the king how did you and this guy's sitting he goes oh my goodness the king I gave grits to the king I gave uh, a bed made out of hay to the king I'm so sorry the king said no 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 you don't understand you gave it to me with love you gave me yours you gave me yours to eat and you're starving those were the best tasting food I've ever eaten and that was the nicest bed I ever slept in I want you to come with me to the palace I want you to be part of of my people that live in the palace that's the story the officers turn to the king and say, hello, we don't understand. We do so much for you. We don't sleep in the palace. This guy gave you some grits and a, and, and a bed and you let him sleep in the palace. You say, what did you do? You ran. You ran for the hills. You weren't there for me. This man was there for me. This man is going to be rewarded. Let me read to you. Let me read to you what he writes. It's, it's not normal what he writes. He says the following. But Nachman concluded... By saying that it is said that before Mashiach comes, this is, Rav Nachman wrote this, I think it's 200 years, 250, maybe more, that when Mashiach comes, there will be a flood. Not a flood of water, but people will be flooded with atheism. It will not be a flood of water, but a flood of immorality. It will cover all the high mountains. You ready for this? The difference between this flood and the flood of Noah is that the flood of Noah 
didn't go into Eretz Yisrael, didn't go into Israel. But the flood of immorality and atheism will go into Israel. The gays marched in Yerushalayim. There's a lot of atheism spreading in Eretz Yisrael. Rav Nachman wrote this 250 years ago that in the times of Mashiach there will be atheism, but it won't only be in the world, it will also be in Eretz Yisrael. But this time it will come with such strength that the water will splash, the atheism will splash all over the land. This means that it will have an effect even in the virtuous hearts, even in all of us. Not just the people that don't believe, but even the people that believe there's going to be so much atheism that we're going to start to ask questions and it's going to start to weaken us. There will be no way to combat this with sophistication. No Wallerstein, no Torah anytime, no Kalalashan, no a thousand books written by rabbis that you can buy in Eichler's. Sophistication is not going to stop this atheism. What will? All the royal ministers will be scattered. The rabbis, we won't know how to stop this. It's so huge. Immorality, you see we didn't stop all the votes in California and all over the United States. Connecticut, it's legal for a man to marry a man. Did all of us rabbis stop it? We couldn't. We didn't. How do you do it? It's legal. It's America. It's a democracy. So, Rav Nachman said, all the big people won't be able to stop it. All the royal ministers will be scattered. The entire kingdom of Klai Yisrael will be not firm on its foundation. The only ones who will, will uphold it the only people that will believe in Hashem 100% will be the simple Jew who recite Tehillim in simplicity. Therefore, when Mashiach comes, they will be the ones to place the crown on Mashiach's head. But Rav Nachman is saying, yeah, I got all these ideas, we're going to go up against them, right? We're going to put it on all the big posters, you got to do what you got to do. We have to show Hashem we care. He said, but how are you going to bring Mashiach? And how are you going to keep your children from becoming atheists? He says, the plain girl, the plain lady, the plain guy, who opens up a Tehillim and damits to Hashem. No big shakes. No big deal. The plain person who gives Hashem his how many grits? I'm not a big tzaddik. I don't do crazy mitzvahs. I'm not an officer. But Hashem, I love you. And I'm going to give you the best of whatever I have. How religious I am. I'm going to give you the best of what I have right now. I'm going to give you my hominy grits. I'm going to give you my straw. It's not a nice bed, Hashem. It's not a beautiful thing. I'm not the greatest girl in the world. I didn't get a hundred. I'm not the firmest person in the world. But I'm going to give you my best. In the end, Hashem's going to say, all the officers, you weren't here for me. But that girl, every morning said to him to me. It bothered her that there was a sign on the wall. It bothered her that a hundred people got blown up that are my creations. It bothered her that they're even having a vote that a man can marry a man. It bothered her when she went into a department store and the guy that's serving her, she knows, he's from the other, not going to say the other side, but he's, he's weird. Doesn't bother you. You're like, what do you mean? They understand fashion better than anyone else. I love to, the girl told me today, I love to deal with them. They're so nice. They're so nice. And the Torah says, Te'evas Hashem li. Hashem says, they're so not nice. I know you're all going to scream at me for this. 
He's my God. I, I don't. I don't. I don't go. Well, I don't care what America says. I don't care what your university says. I don't care what democracy says. That they're nice. They're not nice. They're an abomination. Says the Torah. How can you tell me they're nice? Oh, they're the best people at work. At work, I love them. They're great. They're safe. It's an abomination to our Kaddish Baruch Hu. We're already in America. Eh, nothing bothers us anymore. Everything's great. They're nice. If they want to get married, let them get married. Who cares? Hashem cares. So the reaction from my shiurim on the atheism, oh, baby, we're not going to sleep tonight. Oh, I'm angry. They got up and said, life is good without God. Oh, Rabbi Wallstein, we got to do something. You're right. This is the last straw. It's the last straw. Even if you do an Avera, but you say, Hashem, I'm doing an Avera. Now they're coming and saying, there's no Hashem. Garnish, there's no Hashem anymore. So we're at the end. We're mamish at the end. The last step, just felt the last, you know, they say the last step, just, just hit the floor. In America, in the United States of America, to rent all the billboards to say in New York City, in New York State, in New York City, there is no God. This is where we're living. We're just going to walk by that bus. We're going to get on that Avenue J bus. And all over that Avenue J bus says that our Hashem, our Hashem who created this world, who does everything for us, does not exist. And you're going to hop on the bus and pay the dollar fifty. Sorry, sorry. Who paid the metro card? I'm sorry. So what I'd say we should do, but of course it's not going to happen, is we should tell the MTA that as long as you have that stuff on your trains and buses, we ain't taking you. That's what we should do. That should be the movement. You know what's going to cost them? It's going to cost them millions and millions. The only problem is that I figured it out that if we don't take the trains and the buses, then we got to take the car. But the MTA owns the toll booths. So they'll probably make more money if we don't take the bus and the train. Girls, girls, it's time to stand up for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Even if you can't do something, you can all take out a Tehillim tonight, and a Tehillim tomorrow morning and say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the gay rights, flying. Murder, flying. Now they came up Hashem and they say, you don't even exist. I know that you exist. I'm going to say a capital Tehillim tonight. I'm going to praise you, Hashem. You're not going to get to me. Says Rav Nachman, those are the people, the men and the women, they're going to sit and put the crown of Mashiach on his head. May we all be Zaycha to be the ones who put the crown of Mashiach on his head. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.